Thanks for joining us for the Fight for Your Marriage podcast with Charlene Steinkamp. This is a place where you can find hope for your marriage through Jesus Christ. Hi, it's Lori, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today, I am alone at the microphone, but I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about something that God has laid on my heart. You know, 2020 and 2021 have been interesting years. I'm sure if you're like us, you've probably had some friends, maybe even relatives who have passed away. I know we've seen several people that we love and care for die. And most recently, we had a friend die who we went to his funeral, and it was such a beautiful tribute to him. And I had the same thought that I have after every funeral. I wonder if the people in the person's life who they're eulogizing realized how loved and cared for they were. I know in the case of the funeral we just went to, this man absolutely knew how much he was loved and cared for by his friends and his community. But I wonder if we spend enough time investing in other people's lives with our words and really letting them know how much we care for them and then also living out our faith intentionally in their life. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on. It's just such a time that we stop to reflect on our life and the decisions that we're making and just to really be reminded how brief life is. James 4.14 tells us that life is like a vapor. It says, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And sometimes it's just hard for us to wrap our heads around that. This life is not the end for us. This is just such a small snippet of eternity that we will have with our Heavenly Father. And thinking about that drew me to a passage that's in 1 Kings. Now, before I go on, let me share a little bit of my background real quick, if you don't know. I was 16 years old when my parents remarried. They had been divorced for two and a half years after what I would call an up and down marriage, meaning my dad left approximately 19 times in the first 19 years of marriage. About once a year, he would just get mad at my mom. He, they would have an argument and he would pack his bags and he would leave. And after the final time he left, my mom filed for divorce and they were divorced for two and a half years. Now in the midst of that, she started standing and praying for her marriage. And two and a half years later, they were remarried. So I was 16 when they remarried, which is old enough to have understood some of what happened in their marriage that led to the divorce, obviously because I lived through some of it, but still young and naive enough not to know all the gory details. And that was completely appropriate. My mom should not have shared the intimate things of their marriage with her kids, which she didn't. She was so good about honoring my dad and keeping things that should be between the two of them, just between them. And that was such a blessing for us as kids. Well, so my dad left home, they get remarried, and he comes back. And as a 16-year-old, I had one eye on him. I was ready and waiting to watch him mess up. I was sure that he had not changed. I was sure that his anger was no longer um, being controlled. I was just sure that he would go back to his old ways. And I was ready to be the first one to remind him that he was just like he was before. Well, guess what? He did mess up here and there because he was human. But overall, 
he was a changed, redeemed, transformed by Jesus Christ man. I saw a dad who was now handling his frustrations in a different and healthier way. And most important, I saw a man who was repentant. So when he did have those days that he messed up, he would do what he needed to do to fix it. He would apologize to us. He would apologize to whoever he offended and he would seek the Lord's forgiveness. And eventually we saw that it just got where it was further and further between the times of him losing his cool and dealing with his anger. And it was such a blessing to be able to witness that. Well, fast forward about 22 and a half years and my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And we knew that this diagnosis meant that he wouldn't have much time left on earth with us. As the days went on and his health started declining, he started doing something that at first my brothers and I thought was unusual, but we came to understand what he was doing. He would call my brothers or, or me or all five of us or my mom, and he would have us come to his bedside and he would just talk to us. He would repent of things that had happened in the past. He would apologize for things. And he was just kind of processing his life as he was sick and laying at the end days of his life. He wanted to make sure that we understood how sorry he was for the things that he had done and the turmoil he had caused the family. And in that time, he was sharing more details of some of the things that he had done that, you know, ways he had messed up. And he wasn't sharing it as an unforgiven man, because he knew that God had forgiven him, but he was sharing it to kind of say, don't make the mistakes that I have made. Don't do what I did in the areas where I've messed up, but do what I've done in the areas where I've followed Christ. He was just highlighting how God redeemed him, but challenging us as his adult children moving forward, knowing that he wasn't going to probably be in our life for much longer He reminded us of the things that we needed to do to move forward as followers of Christ. And his bedside chats reminded me of something that I read in 1 Kings chapter 2. It's when David gave the same kind of talk to his son Solomon. And in my Bible, it's got the title above it that says, David's charge to Solomon. And it's like his challenge that he gives to Solomon upon his death. So let me read a portion of this scripture for you. And if you haven't read it recently, I'm going to start in verse one of chapter two. It says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. Let me interrupt myself and just share for one second. I heard Crawford Loritz preach about this verse, and he brought up a point that I had really just skipped over, and we could almost just skip over it right now, but I want to draw some focus to it. What he said is that when it was time for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon. As we can imagine, David is probably weak. He's probably sick. He's probably weary. And he's in this state trying to give a charge to his son. And I just want us to understand the state of mind that David was probably in. He was likely preparing to die. And he called Solomon to come to his bedside, just like my dad did with us so that he could give him a charge. And I'm sure that David was probably pondering the things that he had been through in his life. As he sat there with his son, he was finishing life well, but it wasn't necessarily that way all throughout. He probably had a lot of regret over decisions that he had made in his life. And I can imagine the interaction between the two of them was so much heavier than those few words in verse one indicate. 
So let me keep reading and we'll go on to verse two. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. That was God's promise to David about his children. So David had some rough years, as I alluded to before. And if you probably remember, he ran from Saul for 16 years and he was on the run so much longer than when I read through that, I would think it would be necessary. And you might be like that where you're thinking, why did God have him running for 16 years? You might be thinking in your own situation, Lord, how much longer do I have to wait for my marriage to be restored? Or how much longer do I have to wait for my prodigal child to come home? Or how much longer do I have to wait to become a parent? How much longer, God? He ran for 16 years, and God might be asking us to do that. Saul was so jealous of David that he wanted him dead. And so during that time, there were so many instances where God protected him. David knew that he had to be careful while he was on the run. And while he was on the run, he also acquired an army. Throughout 1st and 2nd Samuel, you can see examples of David seeking God's wisdom and how to handle a situation while he was running from Saul. In the Bible, he was called a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but God knew his heart and knew what his intentions were. David had many sins of his own. And his sins caused a great deal of struggle, not only in his life, but also in the life of his family. And the one that's probably coming to your mind is the sin with Bathsheba. So let's prepare the story. David has an army, and one of the people in his army is King Uriah. And King Uriah is off fighting in battle, but his wife Bathsheba is at home. Well, Bathsheba's on the rooftop bathing. And David is outside and he happens to see her and he instantly begins lusting. Well, David gave into his sin and he slept with Bathsheba and she became pregnant. That sin began a chain reaction of wrong decisions that David made in an attempt to cover up his original sin, including having Uriah killed while he was out in battle. I mean, it sounds like something that you'd see on 2020 or Dateline. He sleeps with a woman, he gets her pregnant, he needs to cover up his sin, so he has her killed. This is happening all in the pages of the Bible. David's actions show us how simply a person can fall into sin and how easily deceived they can be. David had a righteous heart, but he fell right into the enemy's schemes. And I want to remind you that that may be the way your spouse is acting right now. I know it may seem like you don't even recognize the person that you see or the decisions they're making may seem so out of character, but we have to remember that the enemy tricks us into thinking there's no consequences to sin and we give in to the temptations of the world when we're not walking with the Lord. Now, fast forward through the story and the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells him that the son that was conceived during the sin with Bathsheba would die as a consequence to sin. Despite David's desire to serve God and repent, he repented, 
because he knew he made a mistake, he still had to face the consequences of sin. He lived a life that was so full of victories and so honorable, but also so full of great suffering because of choices that he made. You might be seeing that type of situation in your own life today. A lot of victories, but a lot of suffering. Well, let's get back to our charge to Solomon, because that's what I really want to talk about. If you were like David, you were facing an imminent death. Who would you call to your bedside? What would you say to the person that that you called to your bedside? Would it be your kids? Would it be your spouse? Would it be a friend? Would it be your prayer partner? As I sat by my dad's bed, he shared more details and said that he caused his family so much pain that could have been prevented and once again apologized, which was completely unnecessary because we had already forgiven him. But he apologized again for the pain that he caused us and the sadness. And as an adult, I understand that we're going to face challenges in life, but we have to decide how we face those challenges. I cannot control what another person does, just like my mom could not control the actions of my dad. But the way we react is 100% in our control. And I saw that lived out in my parents' life. I saw that lived out with my dad when he came home and he had to choose how he would react when something was getting him frustrated or during my mom's stand when she had to choose how she would react when she saw my dad with another woman. Don't ever forget that your reaction is not out of your control. I want to be like David, not in the part where David falls into sin, but I want to be faithful when I'm faced with temptation. And so many times throughout his life, David was faithful. I want to trust God on the challenges that I face. When I face the battle, I want to stand firm knowing that God is in control. I cannot say that God's in control and stand in church and worship and sing praises to him and declare how much I trust him, but then complain because he hasn't rescued me from the situation I'm walking through. So while I go through hardships in my life or while you go through hardships, I want us to be reminded that God has not abandoned us. He's not taken his eyes off of you. He's not taken his eyes off of me. He is still in 100% control of our lives And he's allowing what we're walking through right now. This is what David's trying to say to Solomon in the charge that he gives him. And this is what my dad charged to me and to my brothers when he talked to us. He didn't want to make sure that we knew the gory details of his sin because that was useless information. But instead, he wanted us to know that he was a man redeemed by God. And the God that did that for him could do the same thing for us. He could redeem and restore whatever hardship we were facing. So what would your charge be to the person that you're calling to your bedside? Would you encourage your loved ones to stand strong and be faithful in the face of adversity? Or would you tell them that the battle was awful and not worth it and they should just start over? Would you tell them the battle was too difficult and maybe they would have better luck because you couldn't do it anymore? What would you say? How would you encourage your loved ones to stand strong after your death? What is your life that you're living right now say to those around you? Does your life line up with the charge that you would want to leave to your family and friends? Do you tell people about the assignment you've been given to stand for your marriage, but when they look at your life or they look at your attitude, do they see a person that is faithless instead of faithful? 
Growing up, I always told my kids that actions speak louder than words, and that is true today. Your actions and your behavior and your attitude is telling a story. So pray that God would help your actions and your attitude line up with him and pray that people would see faithfulness and not faithlessness. Is your prodigal living outside of your home? When you see them, do you do they see a loving follower of Christ or do they come in contact with a bitter, angry person? Can I give you a charge today? Just like David gave Solomon and like my dad gave me, I want to offer this charge to you to be strong, to follow after God, to walk in his ways, and to do all of this for the glory of God. I know that you may be facing a mountain of circumstances. I know that tomorrow might seem impossible. I have friends going through a fire right now and my heart breaks for them. I constantly want to shout to them, don't you see the damage that's being caused right now? But they're going through this and God's allowing this season of hardship right now and they've got to work through it. And it's requiring the faithfulness of at least one spouse. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Marriage restoration is always going to require two people. But this first stage of fighting for your marriage, of standing up to the enemy, that just takes one person right now. It takes one person willing to draw a line in the sand. One person who's going to get in the face of the enemy and tell them that they're not getting your family. It takes one person to repent of the failures on your part that was not being the spouse God called you to be. And ask God to redeem your family. It takes one person willing to take that first step. So my question is, are you ready to be the one person? Are you willing to be the person who says, Lord, start with me. Change me first. I'm not looking at the sins of my husband or wife. I'm not looking at their moral failures. I'm looking at you, God. And I'm saying, make me more like you. That should be our ultimate goal. That should be our prayer every day. Yes, we want to see your spouse changed, but first and foremost, we want to be changed before God. So will you be strong? Will you follow after God? Will you walk in his ways? Will you take that first step? I want God to see me and to talk about me the way he talked about David. I want him to say, that's a woman after my own heart. I want God to see that I'm faithful to him and that I want to follow him regardless of the pain that I'm in. I don't want to look at my circumstances and be so overwhelmed that I forget to look at the God who has taken care of this and has allowed this situation and is carrying me through it. I want people to see God's power through the circumstances in my life. We all have a story. I have a story that's about the divorce and remarriage of my parents. I have a story about the death of my son. I have a story about the other hardships that our family has faced. But none of those stories are my story. Those are God's story. God allowed those things to happen. And I've seen God use every single one of the hardships I've faced for his glory. Now, sometimes it didn't end the way I wanted things to end, or it took longer than I wanted, or I had to wait for that miracle that I was pleading and asking God for. But it's been God's story played out in my life. And I want to challenge you, instead of pleading with God to remove that hardship that you're facing, to look at him and say, I'm willing to be strong. I'm willing to follow after you. I'm willing to walk in your way so that you can get the glory in this situation. That's going to take you 
doing that first step of obedience. When you got married, I'm sure you took a vow. Even if you wrote your own vows, you stood up there in front of a pastor with your spouse, holding their hand and committing. And those were not just empty words. You made a commitment. You probably said something like you would love and honor and cherish your spouse. You may have even said that you'd be by their side in sickness and in health until you were parted by death. Well, guess what? You're not dead because if you're listening to this podcast, you're still alive. And sometimes we'll have people write to us and they'll say, well, it's been X amount of days or X amount of years and my spouse is not coming home. So I guess God's not restoring my marriage. Let me share with you what I tell these people every time I'm able to talk to them about this. I say the same exact thing. And I say, short of the second coming of Jesus Christ or the death of your spouse, you cannot say that God is not chosen to restore your marriage. You just can't say it. You have to own it and say, I'm giving up. But you can't say it's God's fault because you're still alive and there's still an opportunity for God to restore a marriage. We haven't reached the end. So I'm begging you, please don't give up on God. My friends that are going through that battle right now, I don't want them to have to call their children to their bedside when they're old and dying and apologize for what they allowed to happen in their home that caused the destruction. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for your family. And right now you have the opportunity to be the person that's standing in the gap for your family. Don't give up. God did not abandon David during those 16 years he was on the run. In fact, I believe God was actually protecting David during those years. What is God protecting you from right now? What is he teaching you? What are you learning from him? Are you in the word so that he can teach you what he wants you to learn during this time? Are you spending time sitting with him and being quiet before him? Are you spending time in prayer? Let God write his story, not your story. His story is always going to be better. We have a resource that we used. It's on our website called the Standards Affirmation. And I want to read it to you. And if you've never read this, you can go to our website and you can print out a version of it. And actually, if you'd like the bookmark form sent, you can go to our website and click on the contact form and just indicate that you want the standards affirmation bookmark mailed to you. And if you're in the United States, we can get that mailed out to you. But I want to read this over you today. And I just want to pray today and ask God to strengthen your resolve. Don't think that life is something that's just dragging on. Life is short. Eternity will last forever. And I want you to make decisions today that would honor God but that would honor your family and friends and your loved one. You're such an example to the people around you. Let me share one more message that we received recently. I had an email from a lady who said that her husband and her are starting the process of restoration. And like right now they're kind of dating. And so they're going out together and they're seeing each other a few times a week. And she said, it's amazing how the people that have not supported her stand bump into them in restaurants She was alone. They didn't encourage her, but now she's in a restaurant with her husband and they see them laughing and having a good time together. And she's living out this story in front of them. 
God is so faithful to them in this season, but that was her calling that she was doing. And she didn't need to give up when she didn't have the encouragement of the people around her. God was able to strengthen her and to use his word to be such an encouragement to her. And now she's able to live out in front of these people, the faith that she's been waiting for. They're seeing it happen unfold right before them. This is your assignment for marriage restoration. It's not your aunt's assignment. It's not your cousin's assignment. It's not your pastor's assignment. If God has shown you his will through his word about marriage, and you understand what it says about the covenant of marriage, it is clear. This is your assignment and nobody else's. You have God on your side and you've got all of us on your side. And that's all you need. He will walk you through this. He will carry you. So I pray that you will not give up. I hope that this standards affirmation will encourage you. And something I've heard is that people literally use this as like a proclamation to themselves every day to just be reminded what they're doing and why they're doing it. So I hope this encourages you. Now I'm going to try not to scream while I say this, but this poem that we don't even know who authored it gets me fired up because I think it's perfectly written. It says, I am standing for the healing of my marriage. I will not give up, give in, give out, or give over till that healing takes place. I made a vow. I said the words. I gave the pledge. I gave a ring. I took a ring. I gave myself. I trusted God and said the words. And I meant the words in sickness and in health, in sorrow and in joy, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in good times and in bad. So I am standing now and I will not sit down, let down, slow down, calm down, fall down, look down or be down till the breakdown is torn down. I refuse to put my eyes on outward circumstances or listen to prophets of doom or buy into what is trendy, worldly, popular, convenient, easy, quick, thrifty, or advantageous. Nor will I settle for a cheap imitation of God's real thing. Nor will I lower God's standard, twist God's will, rewrite God's word, violate God's covenant, or accept what God hates, namely divorce. In a world of filth, I will stay pure. Surrounded by lies, I will speak the truth. Where hopelessness abounds, I will hope in God. Where revenge is easier, I will bless instead of curse. And where the odds are stacked against me, I will trust in God's faithfulness. I am a stander and I will not acquiesce, compromise, quarrel, or quit. I have made the choice, set my face, entered the race, believed the word, and trusted God for all the outcome. I will allow neither the reaction of my spouse nor the urging of my friends nor the advice of my loved ones, nor economic hardship, nor the prompting of the devil to make me let up, slow up, blow up, or give up till my marriage is healed. Amen. When that time comes and you are calling your loved ones to your bedside, I want them to tell you how much your faithfulness meant to them. I want them to say that they saw you depending on God for your strength and they saw you following after him and they saw you walking in his ways. I want your family and your friends and your loved ones and your prayer partners and your pastor and your people at church and your coworkers to say that your actions matched your words. 
God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. So lean on him today. God bless you guys. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to visit the website of Rejoice Marriage Ministries at www.rejoiceministries.org. Thanks for joining us today as we proclaim that God heals hurting marriages. Divorce strikes families around the world, often with little notice. You can help us minister to these families with your financial gift. Visit rejoiceministries.org. And help us teach men and women what Jesus can do for their hurting family.